Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast live on our Facebook, YouTube and Twitter channels and later on our podcast channel. If you're watching live on YouTube, please remember to like and subscribe. And if you're listening on our podcast channel, hit like and follow and leave us a rating and review as well. We really do appreciate it. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined as usual by Aaron Stokes. But Aaron's not in the office because bless him, he's had one away trip and it tired him out. So he's back at home. Uh, but we're going to go over this. What is a, a, a valuable point, I think, Aaron, a good point. How are you feeling after your trip down to Old Trafford? Yeah, it was um, it was a, a good point, I think, on the balance of the game. I think um, quite an even game. First half, Newcastle were, were probably the more dominant team. I thought second half, they really let Manchester United back into the game. I thought there was a lot of tired bodies out there. I think, you know, the team looked like, you know, they looked like the team that played twice, um, since Newcastle had last played, really, they, they, they really didn't look um, as fit as Man United in the second half. But I think on the balance of the game, I think the point is probably um, a fair result. And I think, look, Newcastle United are proven very, very hard to beat. Um, you know, you look at the table, they've only conceded nine goals. They've obviously only lost one game, and that was to Liverpool in, in very contentious circumstances. So, um, there's a lot of positives to take, even though you know the game wasn't wasn't as good as we've seen from Newcastle in recent weeks. I mean, really, going into the interval, they should have been a, at least a goal up. Joe Linton had a, a, a good couple of chances hit the woodwork. Newcastle went into that game as we expected, not showing any fear, and they showed just why other teams around them are probably starting to wake up a little bit and, and realise that Newcastle aren't just here to make up the numbers. 100%. And I think in years gone by, even under you know Benitez, we would have seen Newcastle go to Old Trafford and just sit back and try and soak up a lot of pressure and hit them on the counter-attack. Whereas under Eddie Howe, that just is not the case. You know, from minute one, they were pressing from the front, you know, long staff, Joe and really trying to make sure that any time Man United midfielders had the ball, they were all over them. You know, Wilson, Murphy and Miggy really, really putting pressure on the defenders whenever they were playing out from the back. So... That first half was really positive. I think Newcastle should have went in ahead at the break. You know, they only really conceded one major chance of note at the other end um, when Pope made a good save from Anthony. So, from that aspect, it was disappointing. You know, we, we saw Joel and hit the, the woodwork twice in 30 seconds. That was a really key moment. Um, you know, Wilson went close with a header. And, and obviously, the penalty claim, which we'll talk about later on. But I think... You know, this is where we talk about Newcastle being ruthless, and I think we've seen it in, in other games, not so much in the last two weeks where they've won, but you know, the games against Palace and Bournemouth and yesterday are the, are the games where they're really crying out for just a little bit more in the final third. And Kieran Trippier said that after the game, didn't he? That when you go to places like Old Trafford, you're not going to get many chances. So the chances you do get, you need to put them in the back of the net. And you mentioned there, Aaron, the fact that Newcastle, you know, aren't sitting back, they are going. Uh, for points in these games against the big sides because this season when the big sides have been the opposition we have wondered whether you know Newcastle for instance we spoke about it before the Man City game might go to five at the back but we're not seeing anyhow change his his formation what we're seeing is him sticking to his beliefs sticking to his guns and I guess what jumps out for me is that's kind of the best way you're going to find out what Newcastle or where Newcastle need to improve to get to that next level. Because if you're always changing and chopping 
to suit the team that's that's visiting. You're never really going to see where you where you need to bring in players to improve to f- fit your system. Yeah, definitely. Look, how how is stick to that principle? He believes in the formation that he chose, and he, he he doesn't believe that he needs to put five at the back to try and, as as I mentioned earlier, try and soak up the game and make them more defensively resolute. I thought yesterday was probably one of the best defensive performances of the season. Um, you know, Fabian Chair and Botman are performing a fantastic partnership at the back. Um, and as I say, in the first half, they didn't really give too many chances away. And in the second half, they maybe got lucky towards the end. But I thought on the whole, it was a good defensive performance. But I think, you know, we've seen it in the last two weeks where Eddie Howe, he didn't want to make many changes after the two wins. You know, he doesn't make wholesale changes. And, and even yesterday, when I asked him after the game, about the tired bodies and if he could make change of the next couple of games. He sort of said, well, you know, I, I might want to, but it, but it doesn't look like he has the options to at the minute. So he's trying to get, a bit like Ten Hag is trying to do at Man United, he's trying to get that, you know, core group of 11, 12 players who he can trust every week to go out there. Um, and, and, you know, he doesn't look like he's got too many options off the bench given how many injuries they've had. The defensive display was, was was brilliant. And yes, at the end, it maybe was a bit backs against the wall and you were just waiting for that final whistle to sound. But again, you look back to a year ago and that backs against the wall was the approach for the whole game. I mean, it, two years ago, Newcastle were beaten, I think it was 4-1 by Manchester United St. James as part of the heaviest defeat in six years at the time. Two years later, you know, they're leaving Old Trafford thinking, well, maybe we could have got three points. And there's a key difference then on the defensive side. It really is, is that, you know, putting bodies on the line, that's no longer the first thought when it comes to being defensive. The first thought is actually, let's try and dominate these these attacking players that we've got to keep quiet as opposed to just like, you know, everyone to the ball or everyone to the star man. And let's just hope it ricochets off one of us and goes over the bar. Yeah, 100%. I think, look, in years gone by, if you'd said that a Newcastle United defence was going up against Ronaldo, Sancho, Anthony, you know, big money players, there'd be that fear and trepidation there. But yesterday, you know, Sancho didn't have too good of a game. I thought he was good in fits and spells. Fair play to Anthony. He did have Dan Byrne on toast three or four times and, and Dan Byrne was really sort of exposed by him. But I think on the whole, as you say, it was it was quite a spirited and, and resolute performance which we're coming to see, you know, more and more from Newcastle United. If you look at the league table, they're the only Premier League club not to have conceded double figures this season. Um, you know, they've conceded less than any team in the league and and that is Eddie Howe's doing. And so many people said when he came in, well, look, look at his record with Bournemouth. He's very attacking-minded and he can't defend. But, you know, he's proven that he's actually putting that into work at Newcastle. Um but yeah, look, a, a, a very good performance on the whole. I think you know Newcastle are showing that they can mix it with anyone in this league. Um, you know they've went to the two Manchester clubs and Liverpool, and and were really unlucky not to take you know points from all three of them. And that's the the brilliant thing about it is when we when we're talking about a good defensive display, it's not coming as a surprise, is it? You know because we know we now know what Eddie Howe is doing. We're seeing it in practice, and you know these clean sheets that that they're getting. It's, it's, I'm not going to say it, it's becoming something that we expect, but you know, keeping a clean sheet isn't one of these things that is maybe celebrated as much as it once was under previous managers. Um, you, you mentioned Dan Byrne there, that was my one fear was him going up against Anthony. You're right, he did, uh, was outpaced quite a few times. 
look, again, we don't want to single out one individual. And I guess as well, this question is probably uh, one that you would maybe want to ask if they didn't have so many games in the next few days. But how how do you address Dan Burns' future in this starting eleven? It's a tricky one because the last couple of weeks, you know, I was I was sort of banging the drum for Dan uh, for Dan Byrne and saying, you know, he's, he hasn't put a foot wrong this season. It would be harsh to drop him. I thought the first couple of games he had at left back, you know, he was really assured. Um, and as I say, he, he hadn't really done too much wrong. Whereas now, I think we're starting to see where his weaknesses are. Anthony yesterday, you know, he 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 drew a yellow card from Dan Byrne. And I thought how was going to take him off soon after that, and he didn't, and he kept him on. And there was a couple of times where he thought he, he's going to be sent off here because it was, just wasn't even a matchup. Um, in terms of where his future is now in the starting lineup, I think look, he's a brilliant, brilliant option to have at centre back. We know that. I think against lesser teams, he's a good option to have at left back. But I think if it was me, I think it's time to really start looking at get Matt and Matt Target back in this team if he's fully fit. Do you think, and this is just me putting it out there, um, is there? Do you think maybe it's quite clever from Eddie Howe to have played him, to have played Dan Byrne on Sunday against Manchester United, knowing Everton's coming on Wednesday, and it looks initially like you know if Dan Byrne doesn't start on Wednesday, it's because there's so many games, so he's been he's been rested, but then Matt Target comes in, plays well, Matt Target starts the next game, and so on and so on. So, do you think there's a little bit of that in it, maybe? I can't believe you're accusing Eddie Howe of mind games. He would never do something like that. No, he's look, very clever, though, isn't he? He, he, is, he's, he's, he is a very, very clever man, and he's always thinking two or three steps ahead, so it wouldn't surprise me. Look, I think the reason he's probably started at Man United is, is probably because, as I said before, Howe doesn't like to change a winning formula. They haven't, you know, yes, they conceded against Fulham and Brentford, but they've put in some really good defensive shows recently. You know, you, you highlighted it last week, you know, more than me, that... You thought Dan Bernard really struggled um, at Brentford, and I was sort of on the fence about it. But you know, Saturday, sorry, Sunday, he was the weak link, and I think it's probably one of the selection headaches that Howe's going to have in the next couple of weeks as to you know how he sort of manages Burn in the next couple of games. I've got no fear that Eddie Howe will make the tough calls. We've seen him make the tough calls before, and he'll make another tough call here. But I do think that. If you're looking at that back for Dan Byrne is probably the weak link, you know, people will target if he starts on Wednesday. If Damari Gray's on that side or whoever's on that side for Everton, we'll probably look at that and think we can really push him here. And then you obviously got Spurs on Sunday. So I do think he's a bit of a weak link. He's you know, he's done brilliant as he's filled in, but maybe it is time to to bring Target back in. you know, that said as well, Trippy on the other side, you know, he was he was superb, I felt against. Brentford, but there was a few times against Manchester United out and that I felt he was he was caught out and you know my United got the better of him. Uh, I'm not too sure. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I thought Trippier had quite a good game yesterday. I think um, you know Sancho was really giving it a good go in that first half to try and get down that left hand side. Um, and I thought Trippier, I thought Trippier did okay. I think his leadership quality showed through. Um, but look, I mean. He is going to have, you know, the odd-off game. He's 32 now. He's not getting any younger. We've sometimes seen it, especially at the start of the season, that he maybe doesn't have the legs for every game anymore. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of what he's offered so far this season, I think, you know, he has been brilliant. Is I suppose that's the key as well that you mentioned there. You know, these players are going to have off days. Everyone raving about Bruno against Brentford had one of his quieter games against Manchester United. Everyone raving about Cher and Botman. 
but they equally could have a quiet game or, or stinkers against Everton or Spurs. You know, it goes back to what maybe I was saying last week and you maybe, uh, you laughed at us when I said it, but it's just about keeping our feet on the ground. When a player has a good a good day, let's not expect that's going to be, you know, week in, week out. I would never laugh at you for an opinion like that. No way. I, I'm trying to keep my feet on the ground as well. No, look, I, I do agree. You know, maybe maybe everybody got ahead of themselves with Bruno um, after Brentford. Yesterday, I did think he was quite quiet. I didn't think he controlled the game as he usually does. I thought he was quite sloppy in possession in the first half. Um, so, look, yeah, they're all going to have off days. We saw it with Wilson, you know, in the last couple of games where he hasn't really been firing. Bruno, every one in ten, you know, has a sort of stinker. Um, but I think as a whole, I think the group is 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 proven quite consistent. I think, you know, you can't go, you know, this stage into a Premier League season only losing one game without, you know, having some form of consistency there. So I don't think it's too much of a worry. I just think, you know, there's a crucial period of games coming up now. They're suffering with injuries um, to key players. So these sort of fringe players that have been thrown in, the likes of Longstaff, you know, the likes of Burnett left back, do really need to sort of step it up as well. You mentioned earlier in the show about those core group of players. Just talk to us then, who's in that core group as you see it and and how many will will feature, do you think, over the next couple of games? Look, I think, you know, there's there's players that are emerging now as, as real, you know, must-haves on this team sheet. And, you know, obviously the obvious ones are Pope and Bruno and, and Trippier, I think Almiron, the last couple of games, you, you can't fault him. I think even yesterday, even though it was a quieter game, second half, I thought first half he was, you know, he was trying to make things happen. Joel then since he's came back from injury, you know, has proven that, you know, he is capable of playing midfield week in, week out. I think he's been, he's been um, very impressive. So I think how, how knows this, he's got a senior group now of, of maybe five or six um, that are really sort of, you know, game changers in this team, both going forward and at the back. And I think, although I initially had doubts about whether it should be Botman and Cher at the back earlier this season, you know, I, I was really, really impressed with Dan Byrne in the first five games. I think what we saw yesterday, it, there's no doubt in my mind now that Cher and Botman is, ultimately, it's got to be the number one pair going forward. I think Fabian Cher yesterday had arguably his best game in the Newcastle shirt for his you know, a, a long, long time. I thought he was absolutely superb in every aspect. Um, and Botman has just proven to be this sensational find. And, 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 you know, everyone talks about the price tag for Bruno being a snip at 30-odd million. I think, you know, bringing Botman in for 30 million is going to prove, you know, some immense business in the next couple of years. And I've got some stats here about Cher and Botman. And between them, they attempted 75 passes, 65 were accurate which is a fantastic amount. Um, Cher made seven clearances, three interceptions. Botman made three clearances. Between them, they won five out of their seven uh, duels. I mean, really, really top-class performance. You know, and, and you saw as well the one kind of moment that Manchester United got the better of them and where they probably should have scored was that Rashford effort when the ball came in very late on and somehow Rashford put it behind that's the sort of look you probably need um, as well to go with those top-class performances. Yeah, look, I think there's no doubt in it. Newcastle really did survive that scare. I think you look at the, the French chance and then the Rashford miss. They were lucky to get a point given how the last 10 minutes unplayed. But 
the defensive performance of those two centre-halves yesterday, I thought, up until the last 10 minutes, were really superb. And I think when Cher went off with, you know, with, with a couple of minutes to go, you really saw that they were struggling. I think, you know, you made a very good point about him earlier this season, about how, you know, he gives away sloppy fouls sometimes. He's a bit predictable when he loses the ball. But when he's good, he's he's really, really good. And I think more often than not this season, we're seeing that sort of form that he's shown under Benitez, where he was just head and you know head and shoulders above every other defender. I think Howe is really, really getting the best out of him. And I think he's found a really, really accommodating partner in Botman to play alongside him. It's consistency, isn't it? Again, you know, we need to see it on a consistent basis. And to be fair, you look around, you, you would probably say, Cher is probably the second or third most consistent performer this season. So long may that continue. Let's get on to then probably the biggest talking point from a Newcastle point of view, and that is the Callum Wilson penalty that was not awarded. Before I get Aaron's view on that, we'll hear from Eddie Howe, who spoke after the game. This is what he had to say. Yeah, I, I agree. I think especially first half, I thought we had our moments. Joe's obviously hit the woodwork twice, and that's a big moment in the game. I think Callum Wilson's penalty shout, I think, is a very strong one. Uh, we've had a, other moments and chances today where in the last couple of weeks we've been uh, better with the ball around the box. We weren't quite there today, um, but even so, very proud of the players, very proud of what they've given the game and uh, really pleased with the result and uh, the defensive performance. So there we have Eddie Howe. He thinks uh, the call for a penalty was a, was a strong one. Aaron, give us, first of all, your initial view on that incident in real time, and then we'll talk about whether VAR looked at it and whether it should have been a penalty after looking at the replays. I think in in real time, you know, it, it was up our end at Old Trafford, and I think in real time, you know, Wilson goes down. Wilson doesn't really appeal for it. Miggy's very close to it. He doesn't appeal for it. There's, there's very little appeals from Newcastle players and you start to think, mm, well, you know, had he taken a touch too big, has he sort of drawn the foul and, and and made a meal of it? And then, you know, you see the replay two minutes later and you think, actually, why? Does, does the fact that he hasn't made a meal of it, does that play a part, you think? Personally, I think I think it does. Now, look, I think we're going to touch on the Ronaldo incident later, but look at what happened when Ronaldo scores that disallowed goal. Nine Manchester United players surround the referee. Now, like it or loathe it, that behaviour, some inexperienced referees will be will be sworn by that. And there was just not... It was as if Newcastle players didn't believe it was a penalty. Even Wilson himself sort of looked and had a half glance and then just got up and carried on. And I think, look, I'm not saying it would have swayed the referee's decision, but it, my initial thought was maybe, maybe it wasn't a foul because there was a very, very muted response from the players. As soon as you see the replay of it, you think hang on a second, VAR, I've got to have a look at this. And they, and they made that decision very, very quickly to say that it wasn't worth, you know, a second glance from the referee. Is that part of a wider issue then for Newcastle United when getting a little bit away here from the penalty, that they need to have that a bit of a nasty streak about them? Is there a bit maybe a fear on, on their side that they go to these big places and although they're performing well and there is confidence, there may be there's something missing slightly where they think they can get these decisions at these big places. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've literally just finished writing a piece about it. So it'll be upline, online later for everybody to read. But I, I do think Newcastle do need to show this ruthless streak now 
I'm not saying that they need to have nine players around the referee arguing every decision as my United were doing yesterday, but they've got to get this nasty streak if they want to stay in the top six. You look at Liverpool, you look at Manchester City, um, and the way some of their players react to decisions. I think, you know, Newcastle yesterday were a bit too meek. Um, and and maybe it was the occasion, maybe that you know they're still not at the stage yet where they feel that they're you know, on that same level as, as Man United, even though yesterday I think at times they, they were better. Um, and look, and, and we are getting away from 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 the point, and that was that it, in my eyes, it was a penalty. But I just think that, you know, Newcastle do need to be a bit more, um, you know, ruthless in, in certain areas as as they begin to sort of match these teams on the pitch. Yeah, because it's not just about performing well on the pitch or what you do in the, in, the, in the transfer window. It's all the little things, isn't it, that, you know, Bringing in maybe nutrition in the in the in the dressing rooms, make sure the players are eating the right thing, and it's all these little things, and that includes maybe just speaking up and 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 being a little bit more vocal when things like this happen. But you know, we've got plenty of people in the comments here. Steve Hinton saying it was a clear penalty, and although he shouldn't have to, uh, but he maybe should have made more of a fuss. And uh, if you've got any thoughts on on anything that happened against Manchester United, do get into the comments, and we'll get through the best of them. When I look at that penalty that was not given, it, it it absolutely it does it blows my mind. What what is the video assistant referee watching? And I mean, I saw it for the first time on match of the day last night, so I was watching it. You know, hours after um, it actually happened, and I I kept my counsel until I'd seen it, and then you know straight away, you know, you just think, what on earth has gone on? We've had pundits saying it's a Stonewall penalty. Uh, last night, I think it was Danny Murphy, wasn't it, on Match of the Day? Danny yeah. Mills today on Sky Sports. And it's not just a Newcastle United thing. You know, there was the incident in the West Ham game, Suchek. I, you know, David Moyes rightly fuming that a penalty wasn't given after Suchek is wrestled to the floor. And in this game as well, as much as some people might not want to admit it, Sancho probably should have had a penalty as well. And you are, there's, there's a wider issue here. And we've talked about it as well early in the season when things were going against Newcastle with ball. What 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 is the point of it? What is the point of it? And let me just point out for those who haven't seen it on Sky this morning, Sky Sports, uh, Dermot Gallagher on it on there. He's obviously he's looking at all the big calls over the weekend, and he's been asked about them. And on this Wilson one, he is asked by Danny Mills, "Do you think it's a foul?" And he says, "I do think it's a foul, but it's an on-field penalty." What does that even mean? <laughs> so he is saying that there's a tolerance when it comes to VAR. And basically, it has to be that the referee has made a clear and obvious mistake. Just just think about that concept. And I don't want to slay him because obviously he's a referee. He's, you know, he's refereed the professional game. I mean, and Danny Mills couldn't quite believe it either. But what does that even mean? It's an on-field foul. It's an on-field penalty. It's a foul. It's an on-field foul. But it's not a VAR I, like honestly, like I can't get my head around it, and it, it just sums up the absolute chaos of VAR when the ref, when someone like him is saying, "Yes, it's a foul, but it's only an on-field foul." What what message does that send out? No wonder we're sitting here pulling pulling the hair out about VAR when that is the message coming from a from a former professional referee. It is beggar's belief, and I think you know. England are the only country that seem to be getting VAR wrong. I think if you look at it across Europe, the technology is working pretty much flawlessly, whereas we've got this 
every week now, you know, and a lot of the times this season it's been Newcastle that have been on the receiving end of it. But every week now you've got a contentious decision that VAR is actually getting wrong themselves, never mind the referee. So it's baffling to think that they that they looked at that yesterday, VAR at Stockley Park, and didn't think that it was even worth Horson going over to the, the monitor to give it a second look. Because I think a second look from a different angle, I think I think that's given a penalty nine times out of ten. Sancho, do you think Longstaff was fortunate not to to be done for that? Yeah, I'll be honest. I think I think I do. And look, we, we can we can moan about Wilson's penalty, but I think nine times out of ten, I think that Sancho one on Longstaff gets given. I think in real time we looked at it and thought, you know, he's probably got away with one there. The replays make it look even worse. And I think um, you know, we you know, we're complaining about VAR. I think Manchester United fans were more disgruntled with Paulson's performance yesterday than we were. I think he missed two two big calls there. Honestly, I'm just I mean, people remember my rant earlier in the season about about VAR. It, they just need to get it right. It can't be that difficult. And Martin Keown said something interesting on Match of the Day because, of course, there was more. There was other decisions that didn't go uh, the way they should have done. He's, he was absolutely fuming about the, the idea of not having professional or ex-professional footballers in the room because that would, I think, go some way to solving the issue. Because I think what you need is you need people who have played the game to be able to make these calls because quite clearly having referees in the room isn't working. So let's try something different. Yeah, there, there does need to be, a, you know, a big change and and whether that's getting, like, say, ex-pros in there. Um, you know, as I said earlier in the season, I think we need to be very selective as to who they are. I wouldn't like to see the likes of a Bonnell Hall or anyone like that involved. But there, there does need to be some reform. And look, I feel like we're just banging our heads against the wall we had pretty much this exact conversation a couple of weeks ago. And it always seems to be that Newcastle are sort of um Newcastle are sort of on the receiving end of it. So yesterday I think I think that was a big opportunity missed in the first half. Uh El Stapler there says we're on asking VAR to always favour us. We just want them to get the decisions right for everybody. And that I think is is exactly what I'm after. Look, mistakes are gonna happen, aren't they? You maybe expect one or two every now and then to go to go wrong, you know, people are human. But I think over this weekend, we've just seen the absolute chaotic nature of this system and it just isn't working. And, it, you know, it's so frustrating from 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 a fan's point of view to see all this money spent on this technology, the promise it's going to make things better. And yet we're still sitting here, you know, calling out for, for not working. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, pe- people say, you know, don't they, their defensive is, oh, well, it, it evens out across the season. Well, if that's the case, Newcastle are due a lot of luck in the second half of the season, given that we've had, you know, just off the top of my head, you had John Stones on Fabian Cher, you had that Joe Willard goal disallowed, you had yesterday. It, it certainly does feel, and obviously, you know, of course, there is no bias, of course, but it does just feel like Newcastle have been very, very unlucky this season with the decisions. Yeah. I'm sure we'll be discussing VAR in the not-too-distant future as well. And also, we have to point out that in recent weeks, VAR has gone in the favour of Newcastle. But we shouldn't be celebrating that because it should just be doing that anyway in terms of getting the right decisions. Yeah. So, anyway, let's let's hope I don't have to have another rant about VAR because I'm absolutely sick of it. We'll be um, here Thursday morning, honestly, after Everton, and there'll be some decision go against so I can guarantee it. I'm sure there were some fans that were like celebrating when they couldn't have the the VAR initially for the Leeds Arsenal game, thinking, yes, maybe you know, we'll get the decisions right. 
Um, the other big talking points, I mean, there was a Ronaldo Trippier claim for a penalty. Did you think that one was 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 a penalty? I, I wasn't too sure on that one. I thought the Sancho one was, but I, I didn't think that Ronaldo one. No, was. I, I thought I thought that was a that was just good defender from Trippier. I don't think that I don't think that was a penalty. I think that was the correct decision from Orson. And the other big talking point, well, well who else is it going to involve? Of course, it's going to involve Ronaldo. Was uh, taking the ball off Nick Pope and popping it into the back of the net. Again, talk to me about your initial reaction to that when it happened. If I'm completely honest, because Nick Pope was just about to take a free kick well inside his own half, I think a lot of us had our heads in our laptops and all of a sudden we saw Man United have the ball in the net and we all thought, okay, what's going on here? I think Craig Porson blowing the whistle so early in terms of like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo puts the ball in the net and I don't think the ball's gone in the net yet and he's already blown and said, whoa, whoa, hang on. I think, you know, we have just criticised him there for the mistakes he made. I thought he was very, very clinical in that respect. As I've touched on earlier, you had every single Man United player apart from Shaw and De Gea um, running over to him to try and contest that decision. But I thought um, I thought he stuck to his guns well and, and you know, there was sort of no, no wobbling from him on that. He's still got his hand... In the air, hasn't he? You know, so I, I mean, you can see Ronaldo's trying to be clever, but I'm sure in his heart of hearts, he knew that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't going to count. But I guess in the world of of uh, VR and, and the one day football, you know, if you see if you see an opportunity, then then why not try your luck? But you know, you got my United fans kicking off, but I think the fact that the referee started his hand in the air, it was just my it was just uh, Ronaldo trying to be a little bit cheeky, and, and thank goodness. Uh, it, it, it wasn't counted. Um, just we'll go on to a few of the chances Man United did have. We've mentioned that Rashford header. We've, you know, the Fred chance was was an interesting one as well. I, Nick Pope has been absolutely brilliant. Last few weeks, he's he's he, he's shown a little bit of that kind of rash kind of um, nature. And ever, there's there's one or two uh, incidents creeping into his game. We saw it in the last home game where he raced out and he won the header this time. This time he races out. He's beaten to the ball. The ball goes across the box and and, and Fred thankfully puts it puts it over. Newcastle very fortunate in that instance. Yeah, um, I, I, I think they were. I think, you know, Pope had quite an assured game yesterday. I think he was good not to sort of make a rash challenge on Rashford. I sort of had images in my head that he was going to try and take them down um, in the penalty area. And initially watching that, I thought Rashford should probably have taken it himself rather than squaring it. I mean, I've watched the game back on match today, and I think the angle probably was too tight. Um, you know, really good defending from from Newcastle to try and sort of put Fred off, but they really, really rode their luck in the last couple of minutes. And I think actually, if Manchester United had left Ronaldo on instead of Rashford, I think that header in the ninety fifth minute actually goes in. Um, so I think Newcastle have been done a favour in that sense. Yeah. Well. We're not complaining. Yeah, exactly. Not complaining at all. And I think it could be a really valuable point as well. When you are having to really, really defend hard in the last few minutes and, you know, as soon as that whistle goes, you're down on your knees, you're proper out of breath, you, you know, your chest is hurting because you've ran so much. It's those moments when you manage to secure a point that really, in many ways, can can boost your season more Sometimes than a, than a win where you've dominated in many instances, I think because and it's the same as well. If Man United had won that game, 
I think after defending so well, the impact on a squad and a team, it, 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 your manager has to get that spot on in the days after. So to get a point, you know, in such hard-working fashion, I think will be so, so valuable. Yeah, 100%. And look, Manchester United might not be sort of their former selves and, you know, up to their former glory, but going to Old Trafford and playing like that and getting a point is always a good result. I think the fans were quite, you know, happy with it. And I think, as you touched on there, it's just about building consistency. Um, be so interesting if that 98th minute goal at Liverpool hand went in because, I mean, what a start of the season that would have been. It's already been a fantastic start, but... As I touched on earlier in the show, Newcastle are just proven really, really tricky to beat home and away. Um, and you think, you know, Spurs is going to be a big test on Sunday going down to London against a team who are really, really in form. Um, but how's how's team just, you know, keep finding a way to get points? Simon here says if Pope didn't come out to Rashford, he would have been one-on-one with Pope, pushing him wide, and then the comments disappeared. But basically, he was telling me, I think, that I don't really know what I'm talking about when it comes to goalkeeping. He was saying Pope was doing a, a good job. It's on the screen there. Um, you mentioned there, Spurs are, are, are in good form. I think that's what they've won the last day at home. But equally, let's not forget, Newcastle are in, are in good form as well. And there's no reason why Newcastle can't finish this week with, what, seven points? I mean, can they get two wins out of the next two games I'm, I'm, I don't see why not I think you're, you're definitely looking at Wednesday's game and thinking you know it's a big opportunity to get three points Everton's away from the season you know they're really struggling on the roads I think Tottenham as I've said provides a bit of a trickier task but look in, in, in seasons gone by you'd be writing it off already now I mean you know you're saying now that it's nailed on that we're going to win and and I'm saying oh, 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 I said I'm that saying... we're nailed on that's an interesting <laughs> you know, well, yeah Hey. I'm saying, look, I think if we can go there and put in a performance like yesterday and get a point, it'll be fantastic. I'm not sure whether we can go and win, but look, you know, this is this is Eddie Howe's Newcastle United and anything's possible. Darren Bailey here asks an interesting point. He says, it will be interesting to see if we rotate heavily against Everton. Can Callum Wilson handle three games in a week? And that, Aaron, is probably the biggest question, I would say, heading into to Wednesday's game. Yeah, it, uh, Chris Wood came on yesterday, um, you know, for the last sort of remainder of the game, tried his best to put the pressure on from the front, but, you know, he didn't have too much to do. But I think um, I think Darren's right with that comment. I think we've got to wrap him up in cotton wool, Callum Wilson, that is. And I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Chris Wood come in on Wednesday. Um, equally, we know that Howe, you know, doesn't like to change these teams and he hasn't really got too many options in other positions to do so. So, um, do you would... do you maybe start your strongest team against Everton? You're at home. Everton are obviously, you know, not having the best of seasons, probably the weaker side or more certainly the weaker side than, than Spurs. Do you think Eddie Howe looks at this and he, th- he thinks, well, obviously they're going to be tired but we've got a better chance of getting three points here against Everton than maybe we have against Spurs. Or is he just a manager that every game, three points, and he will endeavour to play the best team that he can? And we're sitting here talking about changes when in reality he might end up, you know, trying or getting as close to the, the his strongest starting eleven that he can in both games. I think that's probably more like it. I think, um, as you touched on there, every game for him is a, is a winnable game and he'll always set his team up to do so. You know, we asked him about it yesterday and we said, as the changes come in, you've got Everton, you've got Tottenham, you've got 
you know, big games coming up in a short space of time. And he sort of said, well, I can't really change the team that much. You know, he's suffering with Maxi and Isaac being out. Shelby's back in the team, but sorry, he's back in the squad, but he won't be back in the team for a couple of weeks, you'd think. Um, how does he change the back? Does he bring the cells in like he did against um, Liverpool? I think if you ask me now, I think the changes I would probably make is I'd probably bring Target in. I'd like to see Anson start um, down the left instead of Murphy. And then you'd think and maybe Willett comes back in if it, if he's recovered from his illness instead of Longstaff. So maybe three changes, I, I would say, but but not much more than that if, if, if you're asking me now ahead of Wednesday. How big of a blow is it to, to potentially lose Isaac maybe until, uh, you know, we return, Premier League returns after the, after the World Cup? Yeah, massive. I mean, you know, they've had rotten luck this season. You know, Isaac, Maxi, Wilson and Bruno never really all been fit at the same time. Um, they've scored nine goals in two games at Fulham and Brentford, but you think it's maybe, you know, papering over the cracks a little bit. Yesterday, I thought second half, they just looked toothless again. Um, so, you know, the need of, you know, Miggy and, and Wilson are huge because we know that Murphy and Fraser will come up with a goal every four or five games if you're lucky, but, you know, it's a huge, huge blow to still not have essentially, you know, Maxi and, and Isaac, two of your three biggest attacking threats for what looks like another couple of weeks. And obviously you mentioned there St. Maxman. Just how was Eddie Howe when he was talking about the, the injuries to Isaac and St. Maxman? Um, very cautious as he usually is. Um, he said that Maxi suffered another sub setback um, and, and it's sort of, you know, delayed his training in the last couple of weeks. It doesn't sound like Maxi's as bad as Isaac. Um, he pretty much said that Isaac was a was a reoccurrence of the thigh injury that he picked up with Sweden, and it looks like, you know, Howe doesn't think that he'll be back before the World Cup. Um, Maxi, you know, Maxi keeps being on the cusp of coming back and then picking up knocks. So Maxi maybe before December, but but I think in terms of in terms of Isaac, it's um, it, it's not looking good on that front. It's a it's a, it's a shame because it'd be so interesting to see when everyone's fit, what Eddie Howe would do, but it looks like we'll have to wait until the new year to, to potentially see all the star players fit. Then, of course, you risk, you know, I touch wood, it doesn't happen, but you, you would assume Bruno goes after the World Cup and you can just see in it being Newcastle's luck that he picks up some uh, injury, but fingers crossed that's me just uh, being a little bit pessimistic. I've got a comment there, um, Aaron, if you just scroll up slightly about prioritising Everton, um, I can't can you read it out for us? Because I can't quite see it. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Casey says, we have to prioritise Everton. They could park the bus and we risk another Palace Bournemouth fail to beat them and it's been a bad week. What do you make of that that final sentence there? Fail to beat them and it's been a bad week. <sighs> Look, it's a, it's a big, big chance to get another three points on the board. Um Look, if if they get beat and then and then they go to Tottenham and take a few points or you know a point or three off them, I don't think it's been a bad week. I think it'll be an opportunity missed, um, but but I don't think it would be anything to worry about if if they don't pick up three points on on Wednesday. I mean, is there a case that this point against Manchester United maybe is only a, a good point if you do though pick up at least you have to at least pick up one win in the, over the next two games? Yeah, definitely. I think if 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 they lose. Or, or they fail to beat Tottenham and Everton. I think you're looking at that first half against 
Manchester United are thinking that was a really, really good opportunity missed. Um, you know, on another day, you know, Newcastle going at half time ahead, would Manchester United have been able to get in? But we'll never know. But if they can keep building on this like they had, as I've said, you know, they're they're very, very hard to break down now. And I think the fact that we're even saying that they're gonna to go to Tottenham, who are second in the league and you know, eight on, on the spin at home and, and we're not actually too worried shows, you know, the run of form that this team's on. So it's imperative that they back it up. And I, and I, but I think going into Wednesday, you've got to be confident after what we've seen in the last couple of games. I've got a couple of questions about the January window, so we'll answer them. There was one comment. I do apologise. I can't see it again, but I know you were asking us who uh, we'd like to sign in January. And I think you tipped the person who wrote it there for me, Madison. Um, yeah. Who would you I mean, I agree. Sorry, again, I can't see the name because of the way the comments are on the screen. Um, Stephen Hinton has asked. There we uh, go, Steve. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the comments. Um, I mean, I agree with Steve there, Aaron. I think James Madison would be the ideal signing for me in January. Um, he's not going to be cheap, but you know, you buy if you want quality, you have to spend the money. Yeah, look, I mean, we've you know we've we've tried to draw a, a lot of support from him on this podcast in recent weeks. We're trying to. Hope that he's listening out there so that he he knows that we want him. But yeah, look, he he's he's been fantastic for Leicester. Um, he's really really had a good start of the season. Everyone's talking about that England call potentially being on the horizon. And I think yeah, look, he'd be a fantastic signing if they can prize him away from Leicester. I would also like to see maybe more of a, a wide player than a, than a ten. I think, given how. Maxi's injuries have been this season, given that you know Murphy just isn't up to the level. I think I would like to see them buy sort of an out and out winger, which Madison probably isn't. Um, so maybe if, if they can tempt Musa Giorbi away from Leverkusen, that would be my ideal sign. And they haven't they're having a very bad season in Germany, so you feel like they may have a better chance of signing him in January than they did in the summer. Another comment was asking Aaron whether these injuries to key players like Isaac, like St. Maxman, do you think that has a bearing on? On the plan for January, or do you think that the plan for January will be as it as it was, regardless of of the diagnosis on Isaac and Sir Maxman? I think they'll be looking, um, you know, towards January with this in mind, knowing that they've got a group of forwards who are quite injury prone. We know Wilson needs to be wrapped up. Maxi, although you know he, he does manage to give you 25, 30 games a season, he, he obviously hasn't. It doesn't look like he's going to be able to do that this season. Um, so look, of course, it, it, it's going to play a, a factor on their on their January business. We saw in the summer that yes, they wanted a striker, but we saw with Wilson's injury how quick they actually went out and bought Isaac when actually previously they'd they'd been put off by the price tag. So you know, there's nothing to say that you know, touch with this doesn't happen. But a big player like Trippier goes out and gets injured in November, December at the World Cup. And all of a sudden, that changes their plans for January in terms of getting a right back in. So, I think if you're looking at it now, they'll be looking at those two positions, um, sort of a number ten like Madison and a wide player, just to give them that little more killer instinct in front of goal that they've been lacking in the last sort of three out of four games. Yeah, they're very they're very proactive, which is good. Yeah. I do think though, we mentioned this in the summer as well that even with Isaac coming in, they needed another striker. It's someone who's similar to the way Wilson plays, so he can fit into that system. And I think when Wilson goes off, we're seeing the same old thing. It doesn't suit board. He's not going to give you what Wilson does. And the, the, I think they do need to go out and be someone younger. Of course, it will be because you're probably not going to get 
you know, a big name coming in and, and, and accepting that he might be third choice for everyone fit. So, but for me, yes, I'd like to see Madison by I, I, I do think another striker just to come in and, and offer the same thing Wilson does is so important because they haven't really got any game changers at the moment on the bench with these injuries. I think that's something that, that's shone through. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's why they made the point of going for the likes of Jao Pedro and Ekatike in, in um, summer because really, if you're looking at a third-choice striker behind Isaac and Wilson, you'd like someone you know young, fresh, up-and-coming who maybe isn't going to mind playing third fiddle um, behind those two strikers. So we know that the club are being very active in terms of the young players that they're signing. Um, we know that obviously a lot of them are going straight into the under-21s or the, or the reserves of the academy, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't, you know, surprise me if they maybe try to offload Chris Wood in January and actually replace him with, you know, a 19, 20, 21 year old striker who can offer a little bit more in front of goal. Roger Cook, Cook says he'd 100% take a striker. So good to see Roger uh, agrees with me. Uh, Aaron, just sum up then your take on, on what happened at Old Trafford and, and the, I suppose the, the, I, I assume positive impact it'll hopefully bring to Newcastle in what is a, a very crucial week. Yeah, look, I think a very good front foot attack and performance in the first half and then, you know, on the flip side, quite a resilient defensive performance in the in the second half. Very lucky, as I've said, to, to come away with a point given how the last 10-15 minutes played out. But the fact that Newcastle have actually gone to Old Trafford, been the better team for 45 minutes and taken a point away, I think is a very, very positive result. And I think as we, we've talked on the last five minutes, the, the you know the challenge now is just making sure they continue doing this against Everton and Tottenham and making sure that in this big cluster of games they've got before the World Cup, they go into this winter break, you know, still trying to be around that top six area. Fingers crossed. We'll bring you all the build-up Eddie House press conference as well ahead of the game against Everton on Wednesday. If you head over to chroniclelive.co.uk, you can see all the reaction to Sunday's game against Manchester United, and that's where that build-up will be. This has been the Everything is Black and White podcast with myself, Anya Musgrove, and Anya Castle, United editor, Aaron Stokes. Please remember to like and follow the podcast through your podcast provider and give us a subscription, subscription rather, on YouTube as well. Thank you very much for joining us and enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>